This is Preambling, where we turn our useless banter into a whole show so we can cut the fat from our normal episode. In this episode, we talk about a devastating critique to Jeff's Alberta Parents Union, organizations having the gall to not spend money on a corporate office, more rebellion against meaningless virtue signals, and a strike Iowa cap can get behind. Enjoy. Grace and peace. Hello, we're at Taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. Weird Enemy Maker. <laughs> Weird Enemy Maker, that's right, which is uh, a reference that we will be talking about shortly. Um, but first, why were we lifting up our glasses like we were? Um, is it because we just love Mountain Dew? Well, yep, that's part of it. But the big reason is we've done it. We've done it with your help. Thank you so much. We have 105 subscribers, so you went above and beyond. We were hoping for 100. You gave us five extra. You know, it's like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I have no analogy. Um, but it, we, 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 we asked you to carry our pack for one mile, and you carried it for for 105. Yes. Yeah. And so, we, oh, shoot, switch sides. Yeah. Yeah. This is how the sausage get. This is how the sausage gets made here on the Anarchist Bible Study. Um, <laughs> that's right. Otherwise, it'd be weird. I'll be looking at the wrong, looking at the wall instead of at Jeff the whole time. Uh, <laughs> Patrick said, "Mirror universe." But we we do want to say uh, thank you to those of of you who who subscribed, um, new subscribers from. We got a lot of support from Twitter. We got some support from. Uh, from from audio listeners and and just all over the place and we appreciate all of you including the one person who unsubscribed after they saw that they that we had already covered 100 because just said that the peak he saw was 106 so one person came subscribed and then unsubscribed when they saw that we made our goal so we thank you as well uh a special thanks to you <laughs> special thanks to you yes cheers uh but yes we're 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 so grateful and there's so much going on right now like we we've got um 105 subscribers and also we've got a few things coming up a few other big um big milestones coming up um for one thing this is this is preambling number uh 43 preambling number 43 which means 50 coming up before you know it and uh this week will come out episode 94 which means 100 is coming and we are planning something that might be a little bit epic for that um, but I'm not going to tell you what it is in case it falls through, in which case, uh, you guys, you know, can just, I can just be like, well, this is the backup thing. And also if we actually pull off the Epic thing and you guys are underwhelmed by it, I can just claim that this is our backup thing. That, that say, the backup. Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you what the Epic thing was because you guys were so mean to me. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's all, it's all, you know, I play cards close to the best, but the other thing this is something that we, we, we recently talked about that we think is going to be cool because another thing coming up is our two-year anniversary uh, as a podcast. And this thing I really want to put out there because whether you're a video or audio listener, I want you to, to, to put on your calendar, if you would, March 3rd. March 3rd is our anniversary episode. Uh, and we're going to try and do something a little cool. Um, we're going to do... A live stream preambling. Uh, we're going to do a live stream preambling with friends. So we're going to be inviting some people uh, to join us maybe on that night. We're going to see if we can get some people to get, 
together to join us. Uh, we'll probably try. We'll try and do it earlier than our normal episodes are live streamed in order to do so. And uh, we're just going to do a, a fun little preambling live for our two year anniversary. And, uh, and then we'll just, well, we'll t- so, so if you'd like to be part of the chat in that episode, uh, definitely put that on the calendar and we're going to, we're going to try and shout out everyone in the chat. So if you're usually an audio listener, consider joining us for our live stream preambling uh, for our two year anniversary. And then we'll shout you out in the chat. And, um, and then of course, once it's done, we're going to take it down and then re-upload it as a preambling just because we are slaves to the algorithm. Um, but yeah, uh, so, so some big things coming up for us as uh, March is kind of a big month for, for the anarchist Bible study, you know, and then I'm going to go yes. on vacation and ditch y'all. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, <clears throat> I thought you could have been referring to, we're coming up on the, on the very big number, uh, preambling number 45, which of course is Michael Jordan's jersey number when he came back from retirement. Well, um, you know, which, which, that's which what I was thinking about, but you seems, know. seems relevant to, to, you know, us coming back to the book of revelation. It, <laughs> it, that's right. It's uh, like poetry. Right. You know, three champs come back, three more champs. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is happening? Sorry. I just saw I, I'm just I'm just amazed and, and um uh amazed and in awe that you uh actually followed a sports reference there. Uh and I think uh <laughs> so yeah. Have you ever seen ABS on the Ides of March in the same room? Six Emperor Tyrannic. Yeah. Uh, if we had waited one more day to uh, start our podcast, which uh, I'm sure we kind of did in the sense that I'm sure we were still recording uh, a- after midnight. Um, just, just I don't remember, but knowing us. Um, <laughs> and like uh, guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we'd waited one more day, then our anniversary would be March 4th, which is a complete sentence. It's a, it's, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe relevant to, uh, uh, to the book of revelation, depending on your eschatology. I'm not sure. Um, well, you know, it works for me. Uh, yeah. But Ides of March, Ides of March is also a good one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. Um, but you know, like, Things are going on in in our collective world, but I, I think things are going on in your world as well, right? You uh, you're talking you're talking about the uh, amazing investigative journalism yeah. that was. You know the, what? The journal- A man journalism. is judged by the quality of his enemies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I, I'm not sure I like that saying. I wake up. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not positive. I want to be judged by the quality of my enemies right now. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know what? So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to watch. Um, we really want to know what the people who consider themselves enemies of Jeff park have to say, because you know what I might, you know, sure. We're coming up on a hundred episodes. Sure. We're coming up on 50 episodes. Sure. We're coming up on two years, but you know what? It is not too late for me to go back on this to decide that I am associating with unsavory folks and I really need to, to change my mind about this. So, uh, 
sorry to the stream. We're going to take a few seconds yep. to, to, to line some things up. Uh, jo Josh is like an Arminian God that way. He has, a, uh, he has covenants, but they're, they're malleable. Um, <laughs> That's right. Uh, so <laughs> and out of nowhere, totally undeserved shot to our uh, Arminian listeners, but it was worth it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we thank you for following and please don't unsubscribe <laughs> until after I've uh, already mirrored Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> all right but here we go and I've got now you hear things i don't know about you i don't hear calgary alberta oh wait to many calgary is the economic heart of the province of alberta to some the heartbeat of canada definitely more important than toronto those people can't even find a cactus club it's in the center of economic power of the world that True North News makes their home at Suite 485, 1811, 4th Street, Southwest. We began our journey to what we could only imagine was a shining glass tower of truth and freedom. Starting route to 1811, 4th Street, Southwest. I even ditched the ball cap to make sure that I would blend in as best as I could with the media elites that I imagined call the halls of True North's sprawling corporate offices home. But even with all of the collective powers of imagination, there was no way that we could have been prepared for the paradigm of inspiring cutting edge architecture that met us when we arrived. Okay, it's a little funny. Really? Hello. Yeah, sure. Like, where's your elevator? He knows how to live, deliver a joke, that's for you sure. You have an elevator? Yeah. If I was looking for suite 45, 1811, 4th Street, where would I find that? 45. You don't have 45. 485? 485? Yeah. Is that the mailbox right here? Yeah, that's your that's, I'm looking for an office. They don't have. It's just a mailing address. This is just mailing addresses. Okay, so there's nobody actually in in there. <laughs> no. Okay. It's just a forty-five box. Okay. So no no elevator to a fourth floor, a ninth floor, or anything like that. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. While we were there, though. We had heard that the offices for the independent press gallery were also nearby, so we figured we would check them out as well. Really? The True Blue Initiative? Starting walking directions to 1811 4th Street Southwest. Arrived. The Alberta Parents Union? Hey! <laughs> right there. Does it feel good to be to be mentioned? Does it feel good to be noticed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I've one of my great concerns is that uh, union employees wouldn't notice me in my life. Ireland cap. It's uh, <laughs> it, 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 that that I. I have this deep and abiding need to be recognized by the labor movement, yes. um, which <laughs> has led to a lot of the decisions so, I've made in my life. Trust me, um, we know. <laughs> we 
we know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Really? The Alberta Institute? Oh, well, that makes sense. You're the same thing, aren't you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Really? Project Confederation? <laughs> yeah. Again, the same thing. As, as is Project Confederation. <laughs> Project Civitas, the secret organization. Now, that's not the same thing, right? And it's a different address. ...that hosted an event in Calgary last year that Candace Malcolm is the president of and had Danielle Smith and John Carpe's speakers on COVID and Preston Manning on embracing populism? Really? Our last chance was a visit to the office of the Free Alberta Strategy. And yes, the, the Free Alberta Strategy is also one of ours. And the crafters of the Free Alberta Strategy, a document so fundamental to Smith's administration that she made one of its authors, Rob Anderson, the executive director of Danielle Smith's office for the premier. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. As the sun began to set on the corporate headquarters of all of those organizations, we found ourselves leaving. What, what I want to know is how he answer. got that car to teleport in. Um, that, that to me is the most impressive part of this video. So basically what we've discovered is that, um, well, basically what we've discovered, I'm back over here. <laughs> is that the UPS is actually behind all of the populist movements of Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the real, this is a shocker. The real enemy yeah. uh, all along was the UPS. We, yeah, are, we yeah. aren't surprised, uh, yeah. but, but he clearly is. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's, you've heard of going postal. This is where that comes from. Um, it's, it's, it, it, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, the Unabomber. I mean, look, every right-wing movement has found its root in UPS. It's, it's, uh, brown shirts. They wear brown shirts. How could it be more obvious? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, as, um, as you're They're literally wearing the fascism <laughs> on their sleeves. Sorry. I had to think that one in. <laughs> yeah. And as your parent, as your parent organization, uh, so cheekily pointed out, um, they just discovered how PO boxes work. Right. <laughs> yes. So someone, someone in the comments below this video goes, do you think UPS um, knows about whatever this is? And I'm like, mailboxes? Yeah, I think they're familiar with the concept. I'm like, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think we... Yeah, you well, know, I mean, what he really we, points We can't out. trust many of the experts, yeah. but I think we can trust UPS to be familiar with the yeah. concept of <laughs> well, what he really points, what he's really figured out, what he's really learned um, is oh, that is, is this that is the male privilege we've heard so much about. <laughs> this is the male privilege. <laughs> but what he, I mean, like really what he's just discovered is that the world has changed. Like this is like the, what really it tells us is that he is a massive boomer who doesn't yes. understand that people don't have office buildings anymore. You can do a whole news organization without renting out an office space. You can do a whole, you can do political organizing. Do you need to have office spaces? This is really just shows why the unions 
cannot win is they are such boomers by nature. Evidently, evidently you can since the free Alberta strategy took over this province without having an office, without without all of its members ever being in one place, as far as I'm aware. (laughs) Like, (laughs) well, I no, I, I mean, I mean, I was working on the free Alberta strategy and I haven't been with all the other people who worked on the free Alberta strategy. So we definitely haven't all been in one place at the same time. Ever. Yeah. It's, it's wild because, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just so wild that he, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, it's, it's just this boomerism of being like, first of all, it's the boomerism of being like that, that you've got, you've owned them because you, you don't get that media organizations and political organizations don't need offices anymore because we have email and <laughs> chat and text groups. And, and the second thing and that's so ironic, way, you see very little physical mail. Yeah. You know, it's the second <laughs> thing that's super ironic is that they're, t- they're talking about, well, then where does all the money go? I don't know. Not into an office building. Right. <laughs> like, don't and you by like, that the all money... the money, all the money is, hilarious like <laughs> well first of all yeah <laughs> yeah we these are very cheap organizations we run we run yeah. these organizations i mean guys very cheaply jeff has worn that same shirt for how many episodes <laughs> yeah i mean clearly clearly <laughs> clearly the, the my anarchist shirt budget the, my anarchist shirt budget is very limited obviously <laughs> but but that's like yeah that's so funny it's so it's like that, that the the irony is like they, what they seem to be pointing to is like so where's all the money going if they're just having a PO box I don't know to the causes they're representing to True North's journalism I don't know well yeah. and they're confusing I I don't I don't know what the True North Foundation does but they're confusing that with the media organization they're not the same thing oh they aren't really. They're not the same oh, thing. Boy. So I mean, they're they're connected. They're That's they're hilarious. run by, the same, but they're not. They're they're separate legal entities. I don't. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what the True North. I don't know what the True North uh, Foundation does. I think it. I I. I don't. I I don't know. So I won't speculate. But <laughs> I think it probably is connected to their journalism in some way. Yeah. Um. But. But they're not the same organization, even. Um, so, and and yeah. So what he has discovered is that yes, there are. He found four organizations that are either the Alberta Institute or a project of the Alberta Institute. <laughs> which, which oh boy, d- t- would have taken all the investigation of looking at our website. Like, <laughs> um, um, oh, where boy. he found where he found those addresses in the first place, um, uh, and and it just so happens that in a very large city, in which a handful of conservative organizers probably live <laughs> within range of that UPS UPS store, because that's what yeah. it is. It's this is the convenient place to pick up their mail. Yeah, it seems uh, like they're just all in the same kind of area, and this is where they get their mail. And by the way, yeah, we have one person who picks up the mail for 
all the projects because why would we have uh and by the way he could have done he could have done his silly little thing with common sense calgary common sense edmonton i think common sense edmonton's <laughs> mailing address is in calgary because <laughs> one person picks up the mail <laughs> yeah i i could be wrong about we could have gotten an edmonton p.o box uh for common common sense edmonton but oh boy um but he could have done that same thing uh <laughs> For common sense Calgary, common sense Edmonton, common uh, common sense Red Deer, common sense Lethbridge. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't read that on on chat, uh, Patrick. I can't read that on stream. I'm pretty sure even yeah. naming that organization is enough to get your your channel kicked. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah, it's such a it's so dumb. Uh, I I think it's kind yeah. of man, like it's funny because like I was like reading the comments. And being like, oh, is is there something there? Like, I don't know what's going on here. But wow, that is just that's that's astonishing <laughs> journalism. I'm really not like, I don't know how yeah. you're ever going to recover. I know yeah. someone tagged tagged the RCMP's Twitter account, so that that 15 year old who runs the RCMP's Twitter, I, I'm very <laughs> concerned with showing up at my door or, or my PO box. I guess yeah, uh, I'm very box. concerned. That that a that a fifteen year old who runs the RCMP's Twitter is going to show up oh, at my uh, PO box. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's part of it too, right? It's part of the reason. So I think one of the one of the in, in as much as they're actually zeroing in on anything that we might have done out of the ordinary, it's using the word "sweet" to refer to the PO box. So there, in every organization I've ever worked for uh, in Canada that does this kind of work has done that. And there's a pretty simple reason. First of all, it makes it way less likely that people will accidentally leave off that number um, and you don't get a check <laughs> that, that some old person wanted to send you. Um, so, so, you know, very important to make sure they don't leave off that number. But it's also so if you, if you say on the internet that it's a PO box, then the lunatic who wants to come into your sprawling offices with a hatchet is going to be able, is going to keep looking until they find your home address. Yep. In the meantime, if, if some lunatic shows up to the first address they can find for the Alberta parents union on the internet, um, then then the guy at the UPS store calls the cops and my children never have to meet this man. Sure. That's, that's the other big reason why you do that Yeah, and not call it a PO box. It, it, so yeah, it lends to, to that certain boomer mentality that it, that doesn't get how you could do this kind of work without an office. I guess it lends a certain amount of credibility, but the main reason is, is like, so people won't leave off the number. And so lunatics will, find find a physical address that your children don't live at yeah i and, and honestly like it's so funny that like clearly no one cares like only people who already had a had something right against you like all all of the people who are commenting you know of course are oh yeah against the, capitalist the, uh, greed pro-female politicians except danielle smith not that way uh yeah <laughs> Which, which, by the way, um, he uh, he left off that one of the shadowy organizations, shadowy, deeply right wing organizations that uh, 
has a P.O. box at that address is the uh, Women in Politics Club from uh, the University of Calgary. Um, Whoops. I, I can't remember. I, I I wasn't planning on pointing this out, so I I forgot what they're called. Um, but uh, uh, but basically the 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 club for women in politics from the University of Calgary also has uh, also has their their sprawling international offices um, uh, inside one of those tiny little uh, PO boxes. Um, uh, as do a couple of landscaping companies, as do, it's like, of course, like that's, yeah, this is how mailboxes work, my dude. Um, um, oh boy. So uh, anyway, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's all the, well, I saw, I noticed that the, uh, the ATA member who came to my very first in-person event uh, filmed the entire thing, tried to ask disruptive questions before basically being embarrassed. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and then went back to Twitter to claim I said a bunch of things that I didn't say. And then, uh, and then when challenged, Hey, you filmed the whole thing. Why don't you put up the video? If I said that, um, said, suddenly uh wasn't so willing to put up that video um mm -hmm. but uh anyway i noticed she was uh one of the people who commented below this uh excellent piece of journalisming which by the way when yeah. when we made that joke they uh they point out that that they don't claim to be journalists which is like okay whatever like <laughs> so yeah we know who cares like it's, it's you're you're obviously imitating a style of like of like wow. at least at least like um daily show style yeah faux journalism that's yeah. that's the that's the that's the style you're going for that's and, all and if they had revealed something real like they would have been like see you know even you know comedians can do whatever you know like comedy journalism well, yeah even. It, you know well and and uh uh there was a <laughs> wildly left wing journalism uh organization that praised them for their journalism and they didn't correct them <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah uh and say oh no we're not journalists um <laughs> so uh but yeah anyway it's <laughs> uh it is it, it it is just i i genuinely i genuinely don't get what they think they're proving <laughs> like i don't i genuinely i genuinely don't get um like yeah if they think if if they think the people who the the people who donate to our projects mm. think they're paying for massive downtown offices, then, then they clearly don't know <laughs> anything about the people who donate to our projects. <laughs> like, no, our, our donors actually don't want us to be spending money on massive downtown projects. Yeah. That's kind of what they're going for here. Like, isn't that what they're sick of? Like, isn't that what populism is all about is that they're sick of the massive downtown uh, offices, right? 
Right. Like they're sick of the, the big fake organizations that, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it, it, they think it's an own, but you know, it's, it really ultimately it shows how out of touch and how worthless they are and how we're and how, how your enemies are really not that impressive. And so Jeff, I'm, I'm considering dropping you from this podcast for a different reason. Like, you, you know, a man is defined by his, his enemy, the quality of his enemies. I said, and I'm just, sure. I'm not sure. as impressed. Uh, and, and, and we've had mauve, but not, not mauve. What, what, what is that crappy color? Um, we've had like lavender button, button up collarless shirt guy, uh, Mario. <laughs> I think we decided to call him. Um, and, um, oh. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and now Nate, um, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, not, a not on a good streak of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of, uh, impressive enemies for sure. Well, yeah. And, and like, um, oh, and let's not, let's not forget the, uh, the, uh, collared pink shirt guy, uh, who, uh, who was saying that, uh, that, uh, um, Provorov should go back to Russia and, and fight against the Ukraine for, uh, <laughs> for, yeah. for not wanting to wear a, a gay pride jersey. But anyway, going uh, back, going back to my massive disappointment in you, um, I, <laughs> I, you know, you, you, you dazzled me with all this like head of X, Y, Z organization, you know, you know, political, I, I guarantee you, I didn't pronounce it Z <laughs> organizer of political shenanigans and and then like all of a sudden he's just like oh oh so what you're telling me is all you were ever were was a guy with with a p.o box and this for enemies um i'm less impressed <laughs> if it if it helps one of my enemies is also jason Schilling, who makes two hundred thousand dollars a year to <laughs> to to run a uh, teachers union. Uh, is that better? It's a little better. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but, uh, Patrick dropped a few, uh, uh, gold nuggets in the chat. Uh, Jeff's intern getting the mail between Tim Horton's runs is going to, uh, be scarred when the Mountie grabs him through a pigeonhole. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the guy who was seconds from going postal has an outlet with a crazy guy who shows up. <laughs> Oh, but can having that office get you a lobby fountain of Mountain Dew and a gold throne? How much of Gremlins 2 could take place in your current office? It's a great question. It's a very important question. Uh, you know, with with the uh, animatronics these days, I bet they could make <laughs> tiny Gremlins and put them in that put yeah. them in that uh, in that mail slot. Yeah, but you know, you know, there's uh there's other things going on in the world. Um. For instance, uh, we do have updates on the hockey uh, story, yeah, right? I was giving you a segue to that, but uh, you, you blew right through it to just take a couple more whacks at uh, <laughs> Well, you at know what? Sometimes you just have to, sometimes uh, you're wide open and you just got to yeah. swing a stick at it. Speaking of sticks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Basically, uh, the world but, uh, doubled down. Uh, and, um, and, and said, you know what, as, as was predicted by the geniuses in sports media, um, the flyers were going to be punished, uh, in order to set an example for the rest of the NHL. Right. Right. Is I mean, I believe, I, I believe, I think we've, I think 
what we need to report now is the breaking news that the uh, uh, Philadelphia Flyers, um, after after having been basically fined out of existence, are uh, are are now downgraded to the uh, the Philadelphia Wagoneers. I think is what they've gone to. That's right. Flying That's right. The, yeah. Um, but uh, I think that let, let me let me check. Oh no, no, sorry. It, it it seems to have gone the other way. I went out. What? Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. The blatant hatred is spreading. Oh my goodness. Because now the how, New York Rangers. How, if we don't expel in infamy, everyone from this sport, can everyone know that everyone is welcome in this sport? Oh man. Well, I mean, like, what did they do? What did, what did the Rangers do? I don't, I don't know. So, what did they do? That was so terrible. So they announced that they were having a pride night. Okay. Um, which meant they were going to wear the jerseys and, and importantly, no, no, you know, we, we, we criticized the flyers for the, for the tepidness of their, you know, we're just wearing these jerseys and warmups and then, and then there it is that there's, love us gays um that was that was all it was um and and the the rangers they they know how to to change it from being just just a a a mere uh mere rainbow washing okay to being truly significant and that's by having the pride night jerseys and the rainbow tape on the sticks. That's what puts it over the edge. It's the little things really. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that, that, that means so much to the gays. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then of course, what did, what did they decide to do? Um, they decided to not wear the pride jerseys or use the rainbow tape for warmups. Yeah. So they announced a pride night and then didn't have it. And, but they still had a pride night. Oh, naughty word, naughty word alert. Um, so they still had a pride night, but they just didn't wear a Jersey. How dare they? (laughs) Yeah. How dare they? Oh my goodness. I cannot believe that a corporation um, failed to follow through on a very, uh, on their, their meaningless virtue signal. I'm shocked. My real question is I want to, I want to poll. I want to friggin' poll. How many people these pride night festivities were actually gay? Well, did you see how the uh, New York Pride or whoever it was who reacted? Did you see how they found out? No. Like a reporter asked them to comment on it. <laughs> like they were there, <laughs> they were they were in the arena. <laughs> like <laughs> like if a if a Pride night ha- happens at a hockey arena and it doesn't make a sound, like <laughs> like like. Like, 
Oh, it's kind of like no, how no one even know, would have noticed this, this whatever of, I don't know, Provorov. There we go. No one would have noticed him if the, the media hadn't told them they were supposed to notice him. You know, like, if the right. pri- like as I said, if the Pride Night went off without a hitch, no one would be talking about the Pride Night. In fact, people right. might have been like, oh, NHL did a Pride Night. That's nice. I'm, I'm sure the Oilers have had Pride Nights. I've never noticed. Like, I, I don't, I, I literally don't know when, how often, if my favorite team has ever done this. It's, it's, it's never occurred to me to know this. I wouldn't be buying the rainbow jersey if it existed. Um, and, and, and so it's never occurred to me to, uh, it's never occurred to me to know about this at all. And, I don't think that makes me unusual. <laughs> like, I I don't think people who aren't in the arena even know that these things are happening because they don't show them on the telecasts. I'm pretty sure I've never seen one. I guess I guess you will. I mean, if you're watching sort of the pregame commentary. They'll show them skating around in warmups, so you might notice. But they're they're not like they're not like showing. Uh, like no one makes a speech. They don't even they don't even do a land acknowledgement. Hey, a gay guy once owned some land here. <laughs> or like like <laughs> they don't even do that. <laughs> it's like it's, um, and. Um, and yeah, I think I think you'd basically have to be in the arena to really notice. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's um, it is. I, I I definitely think that what happened here is is pretty simple. Like Provorov. Um, very simply just said, just said, I don't, um, like I'm willing to respect everybody, but I, I'm not going to wear that because I've got to be true to myself and my religion. We did a whole show on that and, and, uh, uh, and how it, it was, that statement itself is is actually pretty good answering a fool according to his folly, but but not not what I hope my own kids would say. Um, uh, <clears throat> and so then the media universally lose their ever loving minds. Like every hockey writer, I, I'm not going to out pun intended, I guess the. <laughs> one or two hockey writers that I noticed didn't lose their minds, but basically every hockey writer did lose their minds. Every, every hockey journalist had to say something about how terrible this was. And many of them, as we documented in, in preambling uh, number 41, I think it was um, many of them went way over the line (laughs) in, uh, uh, in losing their ever loving minds. And I'm pretty sure what that caused is a few of the players on the Rangers, maybe other Russian Orthodox players who felt like 
their Russian Orthodox brother was being targeted for his faith, possibly, maybe just other Christians, maybe just, maybe just, you know, it is a stereotypical characteristic of the kinds of people who play hockey that they uh, don't like bullies. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe just some guys that don't like bullies, uh, regardless of their own personal ideology. They say, they say, you know, never had a problem participating in this before, but now if we do this, it looks like we agree with you toddlers toddlers and tyrants uh, <laughs> uh it looks like we it looks like we agree with you on france terribly terrible <laughs> i can't i i i butchered i butchered that on <laughs> uh, uh i the the expression is uh enfant enfant ter ter terrible i don't remember hey, anyway i i honestly are, you're I, honestly you're improving the show by not rightly pronouncing it so. yeah yeah i i parlay vu not at all and uh and and have what we call here cereal box french uh but but uh uh but anyway it, it, so whatever um omelet du fromage <laughs> this one's for you dexter's so, laboratory <laughs> nice um <laughs> but anyway uh so yeah wouldn't have had any problem with it, but now that now that you guys are making it a thing, we're gonna sit this one out because we don't like bullies or we don't like persecution against Christians or whatever. Whatever the whatever the motivation was, I bet I bet the overreaction got a few Rangers players to say, we're gonna sit this one out. And so the Rangers organization goes, okay, we could have our pride night, let some guys skate, skate around with rainbow stuff on, um, let some guys not, let some guys miss warmups like the Flyers did for Provorov, have the media ask questions of the guys who weren't there, go through this whole cycle again now become the now become the target of the two minutes of hate or whatever the minutes of hate are 15 is it 15 i can't remember from 1984 i don't remember um so uh but become the target of that next round of of uh maoist recriminations um or we could just cancel our Pride Night that New York Pride is going to have to find out about from a journalist asking them about it anyway. And and just rather than rather than have possibly hockey players that they're committed to for the long term, the difference is Provorov's contract is over at the end of the season with the Flyers. So the Flyer, from the Flyers' perspective, they ride this out for a couple more months, and then he's no longer an employee of theirs anymore. I mean, and it might not even be a couple more months. It might be trade deadline. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so 
from from their perspective, this isn't a player they're committed to long term. People have pointed out, well, maybe in the Rangers case, it was people that are on their roster for the long term. And and so they're they're stuck with this problem for a, a lot longer than the Flyers are. So they just decide we'd just rather cancel it than than have and let's hope that canceling it gets less press than the Provorov thing did, which it did, by the way. Canceling the thing outright. Canceling the thing outright got less backlash than the Provorov thing. So what is the obvious strategically superior outcome for an NHL team now? Cancel your pride night. Like, just don't have them. Which, which means that, congratulations, you played yourself. Like, <laughs> like the, um, who could have possibly seen something like this happen? Um, is, um, I, I, I think one side of the culture war here <laughs> has gotten so used to winning yep. so easily. That's exactly right. That they keep they can't help but like ridiculously overplay their hand. Yeah, exactly. And okay, so it starts from a Canadian perspective, at least, especially. Um, it starts from telling a pretty mild-mannered psychology professor at the University of Toronto that he has to use preferred pronouns to keep his job. Like that's that's where I think the whole backlash started, and I'm of course referring to Jordan Peterson. Like, it is he is actually for all all his sort of unpredictable ideologies, uh, some of which unveiled themselves this week. Um, <laughs> um, the, um, he's essentially like just an old school liberal, what, what counted as a liberal 10 minutes ago. Um, and, uh, not a, not a wild eyed leftist, but a, a liberal, a, a, a solidly middle of the road. What, what to Canadians liberal means, which is a corporatocratic, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, like, yeah, I got to make sure the finances are in order, but then then we'll we'll make our nods to all the marginalized groups, um, <laughs> right? Um, I, I mean, I've I've literally heard it pitched that way that that um, that that fiscal policy is the the horse and social policy is the cart, and so you want to load as much social policy by which they mean as many as many programs for marginalized groups basically you want to load as many of those in the cart as you can but you got to make sure the horse is strong to to make and this was this was essentially this was essentially what liberal functionally meant in canada and and jordan peterson was one of those but you pushed him too far <laughs> like he he just he had this basic sense that he shouldn't lie to himself to keep his job that that you forced him to confront 
Um, and and uh, Roe v. Wade, same thing. You see the reaction to Dobbs. Uh, and uh, I can't remember which episode this was, but I did I did two solo episodes on uh, what Romans Mark. Nope. What Roman Mars can teach us about con law and and that 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 reaction to just unhinged a a a constitutional law professor saying that she can't teach constitutional law anymore basically because Dobbs has happened right like just um and uh and and then well and then obviously COVID and the overplay. Uh, by the by, the teachers' unions, uh, primarily the overplay of that hand that they were dealt by COVID. They saw an opportunity. They drastically overplayed it, and and now almost every red state. Congratulations, Iowa, Utah. Uh, uh, I can't remember who else has actually passed one, um, but uh, but yeah, now. Arizona, New Mexico, Iowa, Utah, and maybe one or two other states now have universal school choice programs, uh, which before COVID, there were zero universal school choice programs in the United States. Zero. (laughs) Um, And uh, by the end of this year, almost every red state is going to have one. Like... (laughs) and and so uh and then with this they just can't help they they've been winning for so long they they can't help but drastically overplay their hand and 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 start a backlash and and deliver themselves losses that it's they still have a massive advantage they still have the entire media on their side all the time uh, that was that was part of what created the backlash this time, um, and, um, but they still have the entire media on their side every time. They still um, they still have all this institutional. I mean, even corporations now are one hundred percent on board with the social revolution, um, and yet they're still managing to lose because they're overplaying that fairly dominant hand <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and triggering a backlash. It's, it's, it's kind of impressive. Like, yeah, the upshot of this uh, whole reaction to Provorov is going to be that Pride Nights happen less often in the NHL, um, that, that, um, people feel less of a need to uh, offer their pinch of incense (laughs) on this issue um, in the NHL specifically, and perhaps sports in general. Um, And, uh, and, and, and because they can't chill out, they is, they, (laughs) They can't just take their wins and consolidate their wins, and because because they've they've built their wins on the back of a permanent revolution. So the moment 
the moment they want to consolidate their wins, the moment they want to stop overreaching, they're going to be eaten by their own side. Well, there's that too. Yeah, there's that. Like there, there is the the aspect of like, yeah, the revolution cannot stop for a second. Like that's why you know, like you, yeah, you already mentioned Peterson, but like that that that's the big thing is that you any amount of backwards stepping is unacceptable. Like if they make three steps forward and one step back, that one step. And if it all happens in like five minutes, that one step is an unacceptable regression, you know, retrogression that like we, we, uh, you know, that, that that's definitional of what it means to be a human, you know, like they they can't handle even a second of a loss. And what's worse is that conservatives are so weak um, particularly conservative evangelicals are so weak that we can't take the win when there's a step back. We immediately start writing articles about how we're supposed to be, you know, how to love your pro-choice neighbor um, in the wake of the Roe v. Wade decision. You know, like there's, there's, <clears throat> we, we're so weak about taking our wins. So that's one thing is the revolution has to go forward. Um, but, but I think the other thing is that they know that, just as much as they have been, I think they, 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 I think they're legitimately terrified by what happened with the Trump phenomenon is that this, this fear that if right-wing populism gets going, it might roll harder and respond harder than they ever did. And I think they, I think they're right to fear that. But, and I, by the way, I am afraid of the backlash to their part. I'm afraid the backlash will go too far. I'm afraid that I, I've, I've joked, if if you don't like the social social conservatives, wait till you see the anti-social conservatives. Like, I, it's like, it's, I, I'm, a, I'm afraid that the backlash will not be one that's based in Christianity, that will not be based in a, a rooted worldview, that will just be another postmodern, yes, this is a will to power and we're going to bludgeon you with it. Like I'm already that's seeing what it, I, by the way. That's what I oh I I mean there, it's already happening to some extent, but oh yeah, but I'm afraid that will be the dominant cultural response to them. Um I, I, I'm afraid we are already kind of seeing that. Um and uh and so so yeah, I, I'm I'm if I had to predict, and I gave up predicting in 2015, but um, if if I had to if I had to predict, uh, I I would say that that my children are more likely to live under the backlash than than the current iteration of the woke spasm. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think it's on balance more likely that I'm raising children to live under the backlash to this thing than to live under this thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to prepare them for both. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, and, and, and that's important obviously because they need to know, they need to know why this is wrong. Not, not, just, not just that it is wrong and so own the libs. They need to know why it's wrong and what a just society actually would look like and all those sorts of things. And, um, and so, so yeah, I, I think, um, 
so I I think they're right to be concerned mm-hmm. that right wing populism will will steamroll them. I'm concerned of that about that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, totally. Agree. Um, but but you 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 point out a good um, and and we might this might be a spoiler alert for our erstwhile series on the aphorisms of the public policy process as we have renamed it um the, <laughs> uh, and someday we'll convince uh, them to change it yeah maybe i mean maybe we have someday. 100 subscribers they might want to change it that that's right we we definitely have more clout now um but uh um i'm trying to i'm trying to find yeah no so this is definitely a spoiler um where uh uh do 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 where is the law um uh there's there is one that's basically just like claim your wins quickly and loudly um (laughs) um and uh um and that's that's um hmm. okay i guess this is a a principle that is present in a couple of the laws um um but so i basically i guess i would i would uh say that this is spoiler alert uh mo- most succinctly in uh law number 43 promptly report your action to the one who requested it which is okay so if you're if you're talking about a movement it's it's if your movement has been looking for a win on x um then, then claim that win. Be the first one out there talking about the win. That's one of the things I think Corey DeAngelis is so good yeah. at. Is that's what I um, right away. I'm sorry. That's who I thought of right away. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah Corey yeah. DeAngelis. Yeah, I th- I think he's so good at that. Is is he's the first to market with a reaction to a win for the school choice movement. He totally. he's the first one commenting, and he sets the tone. Uh, for the re- for a lot, obviously, some people are just gonna have their own comments, and it has nothing to do with Corey. But but in in a way bigger way than he probably even should be able to, <laughs> he sets the tone for how people will be reacting to this thing based on based on he's the first to market with with. Uh, so even the um uh i'm pretty sure when your governor uh went out with these big big money ad buys where she was pushing uh school choice in the ad buy i'm pretty sure corey got out there first claiming that as a win for the school choice movement before anybody else could say, 
oh, look at this dark money. Look at this terrible out-of-state money. Look at this, whatever, whatever they were going to say, um, which would have, I think, if if you let the, uh, what is it, Iowa statesman? No, that's Idaho. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what what's 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 the big paper? Uh, uh, Des Moines Register. Des Moines Register, yeah. Des Moines Register is the big paper. Okay, if you let the Des Moines, Des Moines Register set set the tone for, then it would be look at all this money that went into these. That would be, and the focus would be on the money. The focus would be on 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 uh, the on the sort of horse race of it and the the politics of it. Whereas Corey got out there first and claimed it as a win for the school choice movement. Yeah. That did, in a large measure, affect the way yeah. people reacted to it. They were reacting to it on the basis of arguing for or against school choice and not for or against big donors or whatever, right? <laughs> like, um, and, and that's precisely what you want. Now, contrast that with the way the pro-life movement, and I'll use that term advisedly, um, contrast that with the way the pro-life movement reacted to Dobbs. Other than Al Mohler, who we stand 90% of the time on this podcast. 92. 90 might actually be low, but, but, but boy, are we good at focusing on that other uh, single digit percentage. But anyway, but other than Al Mohler, what was, what, what was the other big name that that came out waving the flag, <laughs> claiming the victory, spiking the football when Dobbs happened. I, I I don't think you know a lot of a lot of the a lot of the little guys did, and and uh, and in many ways the little guys <laughs> did get to drown out a lot of the big guys because we were the ones doing the talking. Yeah. Um, um, but I mean, it's, it's the steamroll effect. The, yeah. yeah. The traditional leaders of the movement had almost nothing to say. Um, yeah. I mean, I pointed out, I think on one of our preamblings, Russell Moore first mentioned Dobbs like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, Finally mentioned Dobbs two weeks ago. Um, and uh, and he was the president of the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So, like, his job was to advocate for something like Dobbs to happen. It was one of the central pieces of his job. Um and he had nothing to say and and then then he moved to christianity today but but public theologian for christianity today like what is what is a public theologian for a christian news outlet supposed to do i mean i i recognize i recognize as of course i think most of our listeners do that to even say christianity today you're lying twice um yep. but but 
but at any rate, like if it were what it said on the tin, if it were about doing public theology for an organization that could rightly be called Christianity Today, wouldn't you be want to be the first to market with a Dobbs take, especially since you knew it was coming? Like you could have had, had your Dobbs take written in April or whatever, <laughs> like whenever the leak happened. And and then and then when the actual decision came down, you had it all written. Yeah. Um, it's it's infuriating. Um, maybe no. you could even do it moon landing style where you where you write to uh, two or three or. Yeah. Uh, pieces, uh, two two or three pieces, depending on how it goes. Um, uh, but uh, as Patrick rightly joked this week uh, about uh, this uh, about the uh, uh, what was it, what was that uh, what was that critter's name? Um, uh, La something marmot. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the the Montreal Puxatani uh, Phil, um, where he uh, um, he died on Groundhog Day, <laughs> um, and, uh, and and so they uh, um, they had the whole event all set up, everything ready to go, and then. And then they had to announce that he had died instead of, and again, I don't speak French, but I still, I still know what L'Amour means. <laughs> where, where, where the mayor or whoever has to, has to say the words L'Amour and then the crowd groans. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so, uh, um, and I, I pointed out that uh, the like mayor's staff on this thing probably wrote two speeches, one for shadow, one for one for no shadow, but did not include the shadow of death in their in their calculations. There, Patrick says, technically he didn't see a shadow. That is true. Uh, it's uh, debatable. Um, <laughs> this, this depends on your eschatology and your marmatology. Um, <laughs> Um, eschatology proper in this case. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I was, uh, um, uh, I was, uh, joking that, uh, um, that for all these things, you know, the political staffers have to write two speeches. Now they have to write three speeches. So the next time one of these critters die, I, I'm looking straight at the mayor's speechwriter. Like, <laughs> you are the most likely candidate. You you do realize <laughs> the wrongful death of this rodent. Um, oh my goodness, my goodness. But anyway, oh over here, over here on the prairies, uh, we uh, we have Balzac Billy, who is a man in a rodent suit. Um, so oh he boy. did. He did not see his shadow because of the shadow of the giant rodent rodent suit, um, and uh, <laughs> um, and you know uh, what else he didn't and, see? Dignity. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, oh, oh, the things people will do for for uh, fame. Um. So 
Did you? Okay. I think we got one time. We got time for one last. And it's got to be very quick. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So here we go. Um, this is a terrifying proposition. Uh, celebrities call for total Hollywood strike unless every oh. last person gets jabbed. The Academy says we support Hollywood striking until everyone is vaccinated. Now, here's the deal. This very well might be um, parody. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, uh, it's possible that yeah. it's, par- it's parody. Either way, I support it. please please don't do that please please don't don't end hollywood that would be the worst and then if you're watching if you audio listeners are missing out because if you are watching there's a a a gif of a evil grin from a little girl uh is, is i yeah i uh, I just I thought that was such a funny. Um, I support the academy. Yes, uh, Patrick says I support the academy for complete opposite reasons. Uh, if they want to strike, I'm okay with it. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it's parody. I don't know. I don't care. I support it either way. Uh, I I'm fairly certain it's parody, but it would be, um, it would be great if uh, one more institution just decides to destroy their own relevancy and uh uh and hand off hand off yeah. uh more students or in this case eyeballs to their competitors like the daily wire say or those those <laughs> those uh christian brothers down in georgia whose names escape me or yeah. or Chip and Joanna Gaines or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I'm here for, I mean, I have, I have issues with each of those, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for the decentralized Hollywood revolution. <laughs> yeah. Here, you see the, uh, I don't know if you keep up with G3 ministries, but they went after the chosen. Oh, really? No, I yeah. it's, it might be interesting for y'all to, to take a look at. Um, but yeah, so what, what do we say? Do we, uh, is it time? I think it's time. I think it's time. Uh, we're going to go to the state of theology, which we are trucking right along on. We're, we're getting close to the end of it. Um, and so I mean, we were making such good time that we did give you an impossible task in linking up, <laughs> linking up the two things that we covered last week. But we're going to go to that right now. So preamblers, we'll catch you on the other side. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, sorry. There there was a segue here. (laughs) I'm stomping on it. And you stomped on the second one just as hard. Stomping on the segue. You stomping on it just as hard as as whoever killed the the groundhog did. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, a professional podcasters would probably stop talking at some point when they realize this. But I, I will plow right through. Catch you on the other side. <laughs> to hear the rest, tune into Anarchist Bible Study episode 94.5. Go to church and believe better. But now back to the show. All right, so Sorry. We we, we just marathoned through three statements on on uh the statement of theology. You're gonna love it. Make sure you tune in for it. Um we hit all the hot button topics, and as Patrick mentioned in the in the chat, the only thing we were missing was head coverings. 
So uh, <laughs> we uh, we got all the hot buttons, and so uh, if if any episode is gonna get us kicked off YouTube, uh, that's the one. But <laughs> we're back to. Drosselmeyer, The Watcher's Realm, and we are only taking one chapter this week. Uh, we might do one chapter at a time as we finish it out because we're at 18. We're going to be 18, 19, and 20. We're going to be finishing off this book. Um, after that, we're going to keep going into the uh, the next book, but we're going to take it to our time finishing this one out. So this week, we got 18, and we swear this was planned, not just because I forgot to read chapter 19. So... <laughs> <laughs> and everyone believes me. Uh, <laughs> but where we pick up, we pick up where we left off at the end of chapter 17. There's a big fire. And Dahl the hero had pulled, uh, had put his hand on Drosselmeyer's shoulder. And just as he passed out, we heard his voice. And then, oh, by the way, sorry, no, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it. So, uh, <laughs> Fritz awoke with a start, scrambling back from an invisible enemy. The sky was obscured by leafless branches and Fritz held his hands up, crying out in fear. His mind cleared and he whispered, it's not them. They're not here. Who's not here? Dahl asked. Fritz shouted and rolled away from the toy. His chest heaved from the fear, the force of his breathing. Dahl, where am I? Uh, in the woods near the mansion, sir. How did I get there? How did I get here? I dragged you, sir. I hope you don't mind. Uh, and so, so doll, the hero had, had re rescued him from the fire and, um, and, and, uh, immediately, uh, Fritz gets them away from the place. Cause they know that it's not safe to stay there. So they, 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 uh, teleport to Anadorn and just run rampant wildly throughout the streets just to make sure the, the lean you morts are not following them. Lean you more. Sorry. Oh man. I'm just never going to French. Uh, lean you more. <laughs> um, so, uh, he, he ran to make sure they didn't follow. And then, um, they, then he, he decides he needs to get to general Andoyevich's house. Um, but he's not quite sure how to get there. He can't, tra ta uh, he can't teleport or travel, whatever they call it. Um, but he has to, he has, he knows that this is where he's got to go. Um, but doll has a suggestion, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And, and this is where, okay. So I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of it yeah. because this answers <laughs> some of the questions that, that Jeff was asking, uh, last week about doll seeming to show some, uh, some, some being able to say some things that he shouldn't be able to say. So it starts with doll stood upright and swiveled his head around. So, um, Fritz is wondering how to get to Zeron Dojevich's. Um, he says, I think you should fly. You think Fritz laughed. Since when do you think he sat up? Now that I think about it, where did you learn to offer suggestions? Dahl stared blankly and then blinked. Heron helped me. Fritz sat back. Oh yeah. Your arm. So, uh, basically, uh, and Fritz studied the toy's appendage and scratched his head. He must be better at magic than he's letting on. You sound very real all of a sudden. And so this is the newest theory is that Heron did some adjustments to, to doll. Um, although I'm still not counting out that maybe the, uh, the talisman around his, his, uh, his neck is doing something. I'm not, I'm not counting that one out. 
But then Dahl continues to suggest that he fly. Which is kind of an interesting suggestion. Like, why Why would he... How would he be able to fly? Fritz says, I can't fly. Every time I do magic, the Lenyamorts are alerted, and I don't have the strength to fight them. Besides, it would take too much energy to fly that far north. I'm fine with short trips in the air, but Karovo is a long way away. Because remember, he, he can make a magical wind to appear, but that's not going to work for a long distance. But then just as they're talking, they're sitting in a barn or, or kind of an old I think This is an old textiles factory and a small owl swoops down and grabs a mouse right in front of them. And that's when Fritz bolts upright and remembers I could fly. And this is again, we're reminded <laughs> once again that Fritz knows how to turn into an owl owl. And this is part of the Drosselmeyer um, mythos is that Drosselmeyer can turn into owls. Uh, we've learned this uh, from, from talking to the author of the book, uh, the Harry Chester Libertarian himself, Paul Thompson. Um, and so he's remembering that he can turn himself into an owl. And he says, I could fly, Doll nodded. Yes, sir. Fritz scowled at him. He would have to double check the spells Heron used later. <laughs> um. But yeah, so once again, remember he he did a this paper on the barn owl. Remember, uh, memorized ton of facts about it enough that he can himself turn into a barn owl. And he says, yes, of course. Well, they'll be they'll be says if I switch fast enough, I can fly away before they even find me. No one will be looking for an owl. Um, and and so this is the solution. And so of course he says. Then there's the irony that he prepared this paper for Mrs. Wakimba, who he is going to be escaping from. Um, but he does use the spell. He flies up in the air with doll on his back and makes his way over to, um, Andoyevich's, uh, mansion and, uh, doll helps him to get inside. Um, and then he meets Andoyevich in the study, um, completely buck naked. So, <laughs> so the first, so first Andoyevich, uh, laughs at him, uh, at, at his state of undress um, but then they do find clothes for him. Um, yeah, I liked I liked the line. I hope it doesn't involve a noble's daughter or wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, but um, but yeah, the, the, they um, he he tells he tells he catches Andoyevich up to speed, and um, he says he, he does welcome him to stay, but only for the night. Says I don't think you'll be safe here long term, and um, and he says, and Andoyevich and Fritz says I'm not asking you to defend me. A place to stay, food and some clothes would be nice. Of course, Andoyevich said. Turn to a seat. Central Kingdom is at war, and every military general is assisting in the war effort. Save myself. This is a significant thing. That if they need mm-hmm. every general in the field, the fact that they are not asking him is significant, and he. And he knows it. And he says, I don't know if the czar discovered my part in the conspiracy against his father. Or if he doesn't think I'm loyal enough to suit his purposes. I do know that if you are the only one left out of a military operation of the scale, your time is over. Yeah. And that answers your, your, our question, mostly your question that you had uh, about what, wasn't he already part of the resistance, but obviously the czar didn't know. Yes. It, it, right. He, he thinks maybe the czar has found out or, or whatever, but something. 
And then, yeah. of course, Fritz says, over isn't retired. General Shakes shook his head. No Drosselmeyer. More permanent. And so he's pretty sure that he's looking at death. He has written his last will and testament. He is sending his wife and his servants away to the Southern Kingdom. The day after tomorrow. Says, um, but, but, you know, um, but then he, his mind shifts back to his old friend Baroda, and he, he says, if Baroda were here, I'm sure he would have a plan. He was good at that. Fritz flushed. Yes, he was good at that. He was good at a lot of things. Um, but then um, he says, I don't, I don't know exactly how we, what he would strategize against these creatures. I do know he would fight with every fiber of his being. The losing battle, Fritz explained. At most, I can delay Ms. Wakimba and McGregor, momentarily trip them up and tie them down. But Peabody, he's a different type than the rest, far more powerful. The general shifted, pondering his next words. I don't think Baroda would expect you to win. I think he would ask only that you fight. That was a, I thought that was a particularly yeah. spectacular line. Uh, I, I put a little star next to it. That was, I think that's, that's sometimes a situation where you're in, right? Where, where, where like, sometimes you feel like there are moments where, and this is really what, what defines heroism in, in, in uh, great literature. And, and, and our friends over at Periapsis Press have been talking a lot lately about like what makes, um, you know, heroic literature and how the, the heroic, is being denigrated in modern literature, especially what they call trad pub, traditional publishing. Um, but but this 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 lacking of a hero, and this this is what we love about the hero, right? This is what um, you know. You've got um, Theoden riding with the the riders of Rohan down to to Gondor to do, join in potentially a losing battle. You've got Aragorn trying. Uh, one last try at, at the gates of Mordor, if only to 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 draw the attention of the Great Eye away from Frodo, to give him a chance to to maybe finish the mission. You've got, um, you know, I, Peter in the Narnia series going out to to uh, duel with the, the the evil King Miraz and not sure if he can beat him. You know, this this is the the, the theme of the the hero. Who's who's willing to risk it all, and not sure if they can if they can win, but they know they have to fight because it's the right thing to do. And it, and and the reason why these these kind of this is the reason why we talk we read good books, uh, even as Christians that that are, that are not the good book, because when you read books about heroes, this is something that we need. When you read books about heroes, it's not really about the hero; it's about awakening the the heroic element in yourself, right? That, that sense of like asking, could I put myself in Drosselmeyer's shoes and fight even when the battle seems hopeless? And you know, you hope, you hope you could. That's also why I love reading missionary biographies, right? Could I yeah. have done the same thing Yeah. in, in that situation? You know? And since I like giving spoilers tonight, I like giving spoilers to the laws of the public policy process. I'll uh, I'll say that this is this is law number thirty one. 
don't fully trust anyone until he has stuck with a good cause, which he saw was losing. Mm. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one. It, it, and I mean, it's so applicable to politics because there are so many people in politics who only show up around the winning causes, who only show up when, when there's a victory on the horizon. Um, uh, I always, I always count my blessings when those people show up because it means that everyone thinks I'm winning. Um, (laughs) um, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you, you can't fully trust those people, right? You, you can fully trust the people who will get in the trenches with you and fight when they know they're losing yeah. or when they, at least, when they at least seem to be losing. Yeah. So that's, those are the, uh, that, that's so important. And, uh, and one of, one of, I, I agree, one of the, uh, one of the chief elements of, of really good literature, uh, is uh is is showing uh showing that element yeah um and uh and yeah anyway so um and then there's a nice little moment with doll where doll tells him he needs sleep and fritz says i'm going to die aren't i i don't know sir doll replied if I do, my friends will never escape the Celestine. Marzi will never. He swallowed back a lump. Perhaps, sir, Dahl said, and put his hand on Fritz's leg. The evolution of Dahl continues. He's showing genuine compassion. Um, in, yeah. In, in a created being. This is interesting. Um, but, and then Fritz reached down and took his hand in his. And they both stared at the fire. Um, eventually he falls asleep. And he awakens to a ruckus because it turns out that Andoyevich's, fortunately Andoyevich's timetable was not as long as he thought he had. He didn't have till tomorrow. He wanted to send away the servants and his, and his wife. He's at the door, shows up. The uh, Colonel Amarov, as well as Alex and um, Ms. Wakimba. So they all, all three of them appear at the door and um, in France, Alex Franz is trying really hard, really hard to get his, his father to give up Drosselmeyer because they know he's here. They're saying they know he's here, um, but, but they're, they're, they're trying really hard to get him to give him up. Um, but, uh, but Andoyevich just will not do it. And, um, and in the end, he kind of, uh, um, oh, and, and then he reveals that he knows of the divine convergence. I thought that was interesting that Andoyevich reveals that he knows about the, the divine convergence because he tells, um, speaks to, um, and, and he's doing this to try and distract them from Drosselmeyer so that he can escape, obviously. Right. Um, but he, he gets, and also I think to turn Alex. Yeah. Yep. I think so too. It says, it says to, to Ms. Wakimba, I know you aren't from here. I know you've convinced the young czar to take up Boreas cause to bring the end of days and stop the divine convergence. Wakimba reeled around. 
What do you know of the divine convergence? Uh, the Toronto. Okay. And, oh wait, no, no, no. Yes, because Drosselmeyer told him. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm. I forgot that Drosselmeyer had caught, brought him up to speed. Um. But he keeps. But he he keeps. Um. What does he say? He he says. Um. But you need the humans. Why is that? Why would someone as powerful as your beloved Peabody need humans to collect gold? That was an interesting question that I hadn't thought about. Like, it's true that these guys don't themselves dig the gold. Um, right. And, and that's, that's an interesting yeah. question. Yeah, they could do it. They could have done it. I didn't even think about that until he brought it up, but they could have done it without being discovered, basically. Yeah. If they could do it. I, I, like, there's something, there's yeah. something there. Um. Yeah, and then, and then he says, um, he he just he, he's kind of taunting them, and and uh, and and then once again, Wakimba's point says refers to Peabody as the angel of death. I don't think I've heard him referred to that as that before, but that is consistent with what we saw when he got, grew out his wings. Um, and and I think they were in general called the angels of death yeah in one of the manuscripts or something right right but no one has, has specifically applied that to peabody peabody yeah so that's interesting yeah. um uh and yeah well kimba's fingers began to elongate we have the angel of death we need no one alex is drosselmeyer's brother the general interrupted fritz's mouth went dry Dad, Fran Franz shouted. No, is it true? Colonel Amarov stiffened. Franz gaped but said nothing. Tell them, Alex, the general said. Tell them who you are. Tell them what your name really is. Franz whirled to face his father. His voice quivered. What are you doing? I love you, Alex, the general said, putting his hand on his son's shoulder. Please trust me and trust your brother. Franz's shoulders shook. General Andoyevich pushed his son's shoulders back and tapped the boy's chest. Franz fixed his posture, standing tall in front of his father. My name is Franz. I am brother to the man you know as Drosselmeyer. He stepped toward the colonel. I serve the citizens of the Central Kingdom like my father. I oppose all that wish them harm, including the Tsar. Now I want to know, did he just is that did he just fix the undo the the magic? Is that what he did? Or is 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 Franz saying that he always knew this? Like, I want to know, like it was the tapping of the chest. Maybe, maybe our author, when he watches this was the tapping of the chest. Was that the, the thing that undoes the charm? Um, in which case, Andoyevich would have been lying before when he said there was no way to undo the magic. Like he would have known all along. He just didn't want to. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I'm interested. I don't know. I'm just, it's a question I'm raising. Um, which I would see why a, a boy's father would lie about undoing the magic to the boy, to the guy who wants to undo the magic, uh, and take his son away in, in some way. Right. Uh, but right. Right. Um, but yeah, then, then, um, but then Colonel Amarov drew his sword, but, but Ms. Wakimba stepped between them and slapped the officer, knocking him back. Put your sword away. Amarov obeyed, face flushing red as he did. Ms. Wakimba studied Franz. You do resemble him. Turned without warning. 
jammed her finger into the general's chest. Ron screamed and pulled his father away from her. General Andoyevich cried out and fell to his knees. His face turned ash and gray, and he fell to the floor. Fritz darted forward, but Dahl grabbed his hand. Man, Dahl is not acting like the servant. He used to be good. Dahl is acting. Yeah. I'm sorry, just more and more like Dahl showing his willfulness. He is himself showing a will and a wisdom to 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 guard Drosselmeyer from from harming himself. I think this is really, I don't know, it's just really interesting. Um, he tried to yank his hand free, but the tro- but the toy held firm and shook his head. Um. And so they capture Alex and Anna, um, Andoyevich's wife, but they see some movement when Drosselmeyer runs away. And so suddenly they're on his heels. They're chasing after him and he's running. He's, he's not sure what to do, where to go, where's a place to hide. And then a servant girl waves him over, finger to over her lips. He obeyed. She ushered him into a closet and closed the door just as the advancing footsteps rounded the corner. Fritz heard footsteps and the girl cried out, cr- cry out in flight. In fright, who are you? Akimba shouted just beyond the door. Clarissa, ma'am, the servant girl sobbed. I'm just a servant here. How long have you been listening? Ms. Wakimba demanded. The whole time, Clarissa said and cried even louder. Please forgive me. Fritz heard the crack of skin on skin and Clarissa screamed and continued to apologize profusely. Filthy servants. Soldiers, let's go. Ms. Wakimba barked and her footsteps faded away. Fritz didn't breathe until Clarissa opened the closet they're gone. She had a red swollen mark on her cheek and some strands of her hang- hair hung loose under her bonnet. Thank you, Fritz said. They took Master Alex and Lady Anna, Clarissa told him. Are they going to be okay? Fritz didn't answer her. He raced down the hallway to the parlor. A few servants had congregated around the remains of the general. They parted when Fritz entered the room. Fritz stared dumbly at the pile of ash was wrong that such a great man was reduced to this motion welled up in his chest and he didn't try to stop it tears ran freely as he pulled a medal from the crumbling uniform he squeezed it in his hand feeling the bite of the edges on his palm i will fight he whispered to the fallen general whoo and that's the last words of chapter 18. I got chills. <laughs> and I'm and excited. And did you notice we got one more piece of what's going to become the Nutcracker Ballet just here. Um, so we had um, we had Franz um in love with a ballerina. Yep. Yep. We so we knew that was coming. I don't. I'm not even sure if we commented on that when that. Yeah, we came did. up. Yep. Yep. Okay, I think maybe we did. Uh, I'm sure we did. Um, but I think this is a little piece because they're going to have a daughter named Clara. I yeah. think Clarissa is a little is a little nod to. This is going to be Franz's daughter. Or, uh, yeah, I think he's Franz by then, right? Um, I, I, think, uh, I think this is a little nod to 
um, Clarissa, who saves Drosselmeyer's yeah. life. Um, and so then Clara is is what they name their daughter. I think mm-hmm. I think there's a little. I think that makes sense. That that's the kind of thing that happens. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I, it just made me think that I need to like look up. I need to remind myself of all the different characters of of the main the names of the Nutcracker. Um, Nutcracker characters. Oh, hey, there's a website for it. Um, you got Clara, Sugar Plum Fairy, um, Nutcracker, Uncle Drosselmeyer, of course. Um, oh, and I didn't, I don't think I remembered this. Clara's brother's name is Fritz. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I don't think I remembered that. <laughs> That's correct. That is right. I'm 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 just interested. I see some of them I'm not exactly sure. It's it's interesting. I'm just glancing at it and I'll have to do some more thinking about it, but you know, I'm not exactly sure who's going to represent who's going to be what um in in this. But of course, this is that we're that's going to be the third book and we're we're barreling toward it. We've got two chapters to go. Uh, maybe we'll take, I think we're going to take two weeks to do it. So we're going to take our time finishing up this book. And so you've got plenty of time. Grab your copy of Drosselmeyer, the watcher's realm, as well as the third book, um, which I do not have close to me right now. In fact, I'm kind of wondering where did I put it? Uh, hopefully I'll find that by the time we finish the watcher's realm and we move on to the the third book, which is, what is the third book? Uh, <laughs> um, the Nutcracker trilogy of the Nutcracker trilogy, uh, um, by Paul Thompson. Uh, yes, the Nutcracker trilogy. Oh, they have box sets now. This is something that I'm looking at. I'm noticing that we have, uh, they, they're selling box sets. So, Hey, for that, here, let me. Yeah, for $45, you can get all three books in a, in a nice little box set. Nice. Um, but yeah, the, the third one is, uh, the dance. What is it? The dance of the nutcracker. So that's what we're going to be reading next. Um, you have time to go grab that and maybe even beat us to the punch, read it ahead of time. And, uh, we're, we're excited. I'm excited to see how this all shakes up. Um, yeah. Dance of the Nutcracker. So I'm sure we're going to find out next book, exactly who represents what and how everything falls in. Also line. potentially relevant. The mouse that Drosselmeyer didn't eat when he was an owl may come into play later. Ooh, in- <laughs> interesting. Yes. <laughs> oh Yeah. He's a, he, he's an owl and there's the rat king. Okay. Look at that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I think now is a good time to say, because we need to enough preambling. Let's get to the show. This has been preambling for more. Please tune into episode 94. Pretty, pretty horses dripping in blood. Grace and peace. <laughs>